This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Epsigon. This week, I chat with Tim Zuhanek about serverless and TypeScript. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 83. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm speaking with Tim Zuhanek. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. So you are a TypeScript lead at Prisma. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what Prisma does? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. I have listened to several uh, episodes already. And uh, so uh, at Prisma, Prisma is basically a database tooling company, you could say, um, where our core is implemented in as open source. So everything we build is available for everyone and everyone can con contribute. And uh, what we basically focus on right now is a uh, database client, database access, uh, but we're also working on uh, schema migrations. And um, what uh, this database client is doing is mostly giving you type safe access to your database. And we do that in TypeScript. So uh, the way Prisma is architectured, we can also implement uh, clients in different languages like Go or Java. We have the core of the query engine is written in uh, Rust. And uh, TypeScript is basically a layer on top to give you type safety for your database. And with type safety, I mean, if you, for example, say, I want to select a certain field, then you will also, in your types, in your uh, code, will have the guarantee that this field will be there. And I believe that still, until today, this is the only client out there giving you really this kind of experience. And how this uh, works is through code generation. So we uh, employ code generation quite heavily. And um, you define declaratively your schema. You say, I have a user. A user has uh, a post and so on or has posts. And um, based on this schema definition, we then generate uh, the whole client in TypeScript. And this uh, has now in, uh, th this is now in GA for, uh, since two, uh, 2020. Uh, we have been working on this for two years. And in general, Prisma already exists for uh, nearly five years. So yeah, that's uh, what we're doing. And um, obviously, if you use your database, you oftentimes, in 2020, you use serverless. And so we uh, see many users, we see a lot of adoption rising there, while still many users are uh, using this in a containerized fashion. Uh, we see a big role also how this is being uh, used in Lambda and serverless. Yeah. And what about your background? What, what, how, did you, how did you get into TypeScript? Um, so it's funny because I started JavaScript, I think, nine years ago and um, did not really, besides having uh, had typed languages in uni like Haskell and Java, uh, the usual uh, stuff we had to look into. Besides that, I was really into dynamic, uh, dynamically typed languages, not really a big fan of anything like oh, the type system was my enemy, basically. And um, type system, uh, TypeScript came around. 2015, I had the first look into it. Um, actually, Johannes, uh, who's also who's the founder of Prisma, he uh, made me aware of it that TypeScript even exists. So I looked uh, into it, and first I had, I would say, quite strong uh, resistance to it, because once you, it, it feels a little bit like it's um, taking away your freedom. You, you, oh, I'm so free in JavaScript, I can just do what I want. And uh, But if you are looking a bit more into it, if you're reflecting a bit and thinking, okay, where can this really help me? You are step-by-step -step understanding that the compiler is not your enemy, but your friend and just really protects you from your own stupidity, basically. Doing, uh, like, we're just humans and uh, it doesn't matter how good of a programmer you are, you will do these mistakes and uh, TypeScript really helps. So since 2015, I have not used anything else anymore. And uh, here I really have to cite a, a colleague, Ryan uh, from uh, Prisma recently tweeted, like if he is not writing uh, uh, code in TypeScript anymore, it feels like going 
uh, outside without clothes. So it's really like something <laughs> is missing. It's like the safety net, the safety layer is somehow missing. So I am basically someone who converted from JavaScript is my religion to now TypeScript is it and both in node and in the front end i'm now uh, using it for five years yeah awesome well i've been uh, programming in javascript for 23 years so um okay it is a uh, yeah so it was a very difficult change for me it was a, a huge mind shift for me but anyways all right I don't typically fool my listeners here, but I think we're going to fool them a little bit because even though this is a serverless podcast, we're going to talk a lot more about TypeScript. Um, and of course, we're going to link it back to, to serverless here. But um, and, and maybe we'll start that in the beginning. But there are so many really, really cool things that you can do with TypeScript. Um, if you're building serverless applications, it's going to help you. Uh, and, and I'd like to start by maybe just getting your thoughts on why you know, why TypeScript is going to be an important thing for serverless. Yeah, so um, I just checked um, the stats. So uh, New Relic just released a um, report um, about how how much like which runtime is used in, in serverless most, where they are, um, where the New Relic product is activated. And over 50% is using Node of the Lambda runtimes. So it's clear Node is uh, the majority here. And I would now claim if you do Node, you should do TypeScript. So it's quite relevant uh, to say uh, most of them are using Node and in Node, uh, instead of having it untyped in JavaScript, I think it's really useful to use a TypeScript. And now is the question really, uh, why is that so useful? Why, why should you do that? And uh, so maybe a quick introduction again, uh, or reminder, what is TypeScript? Uh, rather a reminder because um, I think most of the people know it already or know that it exists. There was the State of JS um, uh, report 2019 where they asked like, uh, did you ever hear, uh, hear about TypeScript? 58% uh, uh, heard about it and want to use it again. And I think only less than a percent haven't heard about it yet. So I guess most right. people have heard about it. But the question is really, what is it? And I would say you can define TypeScript as a superset of uh, JavaScript. So the JavaScript uh, syntax, what you can express with JavaScript is a subset. So that means everything you can do in JavaScript, you can also do in TypeScript. That was one of the uh, goals upfront when they designed TypeScript. You need to be able to, in hindsight, be able to type any program you have written in JavaScript with TypeScript. You need to be able to put the types on top. And so why is this so interesting now? Once you have these types defined, this uh, helps users to explore your API. It enables auto-completion. It uh, helps you with uh, documentation. You can add comments. So JS doc and TypeScript uh, types are really working well together. Um, you can do both together, and I even recommend doing both. So you don't just uh, type things, but you can on top add nice comments in JS doc. Um, they work well together. And after all, if you use VS Code, I guess also uh, many uh, developers are using VS Code these days, the VS Code uh, JavaScript language service is maintained by the TypeScript team. So uh, this is one thing because, again, it's, it's a subset of it. And uh, if you are using JavaScript today, uh, chances are very high that you already experience auto-completion or in enhanced developer experience enabled by TypeScript, although your code is not written in TypeScript. So I think the main point is really developer experience and also uh, giving you safety. So if you look into the whole serverless uh, world, then you oftentimes deal with APIs, third-party APIs. Let's say we're dealing with the AWS SDK. Um, and I mean, it's huge. The AWS SDK, uh, it's impossible to know uh, everything. And it's also sometimes hard to find exactly what you want in the docs and in examples. And in that case, the types are really helpful. Um, uh, I recently looked into TimeStream DB. Uh, the new serverless uh, time series database from AWS, which uh, became GA a couple of weeks ago. And uh, because it is so new, there was not so much content around yet. So I just checked out the types of the um, AWS uh, SDK. And that really helped me to understand uh, some more like edge cases, details of the API, what is even available. Maybe they didn't uh, document it. So I these days even use types oftentimes uh, to explore an API. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree um, with with exploring the APIs because the 
The problem with AWS documentation is it's, it's often very complete, but you have to keep digging and digging and digging to find sometimes the right thing that you need. And just to have it pop up and tell you what methods are available or whatever. Um, and the other thing is with the JS doc stuff, I, that is something that uh, is, I've actually been working on a, another library that I'm, I'm trying to add all the JS doc stuff into um, as, as well as converting it to TypeScript, uh, you know, completely to TypeScript, which we can talk about in a second. Um, but I found that that is really, really helpful way for you to do, it almost forces you to do documentation on your own code. Um, so you document your own methods and things like that. But then when that is converted, you know, when it's converted to types, um, it helps really, it helps with the, you know, just from the user perspective and gives you that that really, really good developer experience. So so let's talk about third party modules to, uh, um, uh, for a second. So the, the idea of writing something in JavaScript, now this is something I did for a long time. I was running, writing NPM packages in JavaScript and this was, you know, sort of early days of uh, TypeScript. So TypeScript was not super popular at that point. But then people are coming along like, oh, do you have the TypeScript types for this? And I was like, no, I, you know, I don't, whatever. And people were were then like, oh, I'll contribute it. So they added these TypeScript types, you know, the, the, the type definition files, which are great, right? But if you look at the type definition file and then you go and you look at the actual code, anytime you make a change to your code, you have to say to yourself, oh, wait a minute, do I have to update the types now? Um, and so, one thing that I've started to do is convert some of my projects over to TypeScript directly because, you know, one, it's it's very, very helpful just to have that capability there. And again, a lot of my services interact with uh, AWS. So being able to, to use the, uh, you know, the autocomplete for those is, is good. Uh, but what are your what's your suggestion for people who have written, um, you know, uh, applications or written uh, modules and packages in uh, in JavaScript? Like, how big of a, of a motivation is it for them to convert those over to TypeScript? So the beauty of TypeScript is that you can adopt it incrementally. Uh, and by the way, here I want to also point a little bit to uh, Flow. Uh, back in the days, 2015, 16, it was not clear who's the winner. Flow from Facebook and TypeScript from Microsoft both wanted to solve the same problem want to make JavaScript a bit more safe. And if you have huge code bases, uh, you are happy to have something like that. And uh, in the early days, that was one, one of the advantages of Flow, the incremental adoption. You could easily uh, have JavaScript files and TypeScript files in the same uh, project. That was not originally so easy in TypeScript. However, later they um, added the allow.js uh, um, flag to the TypeScript config. And with that, you can basically uh, start uh, turning file by file into a TypeScript. And also you can make the type checks very uh, loose, so to say. You can start with an any type and then you step by step introduce types. And I think with that you can uh, introduce it um, quite easily. Um, what most developers, I guess, even in Node.js already have is some kind of compile step. If they don't, yes, you, you now need to introduce a compile step. Um, because uh, you just run the TSC command, basically, which takes all of your input and it just, uh, it's, it's a little bit a bundler. Uh, not really a bundler, it's rather transpiling, just that if you, for example, use uh, generators, uh, if, you, if you use um, uh, promises, async functions, and you want to turn that into ES5, then you may need to uh, transpile that. So uh, TypeScript is at the same time basically covering bubble. So oftentimes, if you have Bubble in your project, probably you don't need that anymore if you switch to TypeScript. So TypeScript, uh, the compiler is, for example, also able to parse uh, React, uh, like JSX uh, syntax. So I think oftentimes it's uh, like getting this compiler into your, uh, um, into your build uh, pipeline is probably not the biggest thing. Uh, and especially if you start with like file by file, the TypeScript compiler will be very fast in the beginning. It can get a bit slower uh, later if you have really, really big projects and also the, depending on how you define the types, how much like advanced TypeScript stuff you do because somewhere uh, the compiler needs to run something somewhere. But overall, I uh, suggest really directly starting to uh, introduce the compiler in your code base uh, um, and file by file uh, convert that uh, over to TypeScript. Yeah. Yeah, and I've found that with TypeScript, um, you know, trying to 
trying to incrementally add it. Um, you know, the anything works out really great. Uh, the problem, though, that I've had is I always uh, thought a lot of what I was doing in JavaScript were these nice little elegant, like, you know, maps or, you know, a lot of ternary operators in there, like just things that made the code seem really, really clean to me. Um, and found it very, very difficult to add types to some of those. Like it almost forces me to rewrite um, things to if statements and you know make things you know for loops, make things a little bit easier um, and a little bit clearer. Um, but I I feel like it it makes me write more code sometimes, um, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But I think it probably makes it clearer and almost enforces some standards that you kind of have to follow. Yeah, and uh, a typical example where I really have to say that TypeScript improved my code quality is when you do like duck typing or you need to check is that a specific type. So uh, right. let's say I don't know if this type that I get could be an object or a string. In JavaScript APIs, you have that oftentimes, right? And what I used to do more is that I just uh, do it inline. Maybe a ternary statement, just check, is it a string, then do this, otherwise that. And right. uh, with TypeScript, you have a specific keyword built into a language that is is. The keyword is called is. And with that, you can um, have, let's say, um, uh, a function that uh, returns if that is indeed that type or not. So that, uh, that means, so it returns a Boolean but it's, it has a special meaning now, a semantic meaning in the types, because you now can do your if statement. Let's say it is my is a car, and if this if statement uh, is true, TypeScript knows that everything you do in that uh, if block is definitely accessing a car. And this way you really can build, you can make this connection between runtime and uh, compile time, because uh, the reality is you don't not always know the type of it. You need to, uh, um, sometimes uh, validate user input or uh, input from other uh, APIs. And this is a very uh, useful way to uh, discriminate the, uh, the types. And that putting that into a separate function alone already is it a blah, blah, blah type. These kind of patterns, it's not possible to do that, to do that without a function in TypeScript. Like there, TypeScript really forces you, you need to put it into a separate function. That function has this specific return type that is is and then the type car or, so, uh, or something else, and that way you can clearly separate that. Now, writing these functions is still a bit tricky. Uh, actually, uh, yesterday we did a, um, a meetup, new meetup format at Prisma called Advanced TypeScript Trickery, because we recently saw like more and more crazy stuff popping up at Twitter. We can also later like geek a bit out and talk a bit more about like the crazy new stuff that uh, uh, TypeScript enables. And... Um, Someone talked about, uh, like he really uses the is uh, uh, keyword a lot and talked about how you in practice really implement that function and found out that um, what you just mentioned with, okay, I have JavaScript code here, I have my uh, declarations, TypeScript declarations, how do I make sure they match? That is still a problem in the is function. That's not yet solved properly. However, we have great libraries for that. Uh, one of them is called IOTS. And uh, there you can basically define a, um, a TypeScript type in runtime. So you get like a programmatic API. Um, you can say t dot and then string and you can like construct and nest your types. And that gives you both, it will give you a valid uh, TypeScript type. It will make a valid TypeScript type for the compile time, but also gives you a runtime checker. So you basically take the whole TypeScript compile time checking into runtime, and if you now get a um, input and you don't know is it a car, you can use one of these libraries IOTS, which are really useful for validation here, uh, to uh, validate if things are uh, proper. And if you look at like, the whole validation space in general, is really uh, exciting. What what is changing there? If you look into the libraries that people used to uh, use, like Yup, for example, some people may be familiar with that. Uh, they, uh, in hindsight, added. The TypeScript on top, which works uh, reasonably uh, well. But now we have um, native TypeScript native libraries coming. Zot is one of them, IOTS, and they give you the full package because obviously it's awesome if you can already validate in compile time uh, if possible. And then later in your code, once you have um, run this um, uh, uh, check from the library IOTS, you have the guarantee in your code, yes this uh, object has these properties, you don't need to write any code there anymore. 
Right, which is which is interesting because and let's and maybe we can move on to um, uh, to the project you and I sort of first got connected on, which is the the Dynamo DB toolbox. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> this I spent probably I don't know eighty percent of my time coding on writing runtime checks for the data, right? Make sure that this yep. particular, uh, that when you pass in options, that this particular option is a valid option. Um, and then making sure that the type and and so forth. And I had thought about maybe using Joy to do that, or is it mm -hmm. pronounced Joy, J-O-I or whatever. Yeah, but then yeah, I was yeah, like, ah, yeah. oh, that just seems like a, a lot of extra work and I'm basically doing the same thing. And, and some of them don't need to be as complex. Um, so that is something that would be really, really cool to have is to simply say, how do I take my TypeScript um, my TypeScript checks and bring those onto the runtime to enforce them on that side. And I mean, maybe we can just take a, before we get into the DynamoDB for a second, maybe we can, uh, or DynamoDB toolbox, we can take a second and talk about something like uh, Deno, right? Like some of these runtime for TypeScript things, because um, those seem really promising, but what are your thoughts on on those sort of things? Because I know there's there's some performance issues. Yes, I mean, Dano is a really exciting project. Uh, it's really awesome. And we are also getting more and more requests now at Prisma to add Dano support. We don't have it yet <laughs> because we use the child process API quite extensively. And that's just a little bit different like the process model in Dano. Um, but we get more and more requests. I still didn't get an answer from anyone uh, because we asked, did you use it? Do you use it in production? Not that many answers yet, but I think that's just it's coming. Um, and uh, that is definitely quite expensive to see. Uh, the like, if you run the TypeScript compiler, and also um, a few weeks ago at the TypeScript conference, I gave a talk about uh, pushing the. It, it was a bit of catchy title, pushing the compiler to the limit, and it was right. both in terms of complexity, but also in terms of quantity of how many types we are even having in there, and that like performance is an issue if you have like really big projects. Um, and uh, I think that is also for sure a little bit detrimental in the beginning, at least for Dino, because they need to uh, do all of these type checks. But I think uh, help is coming. So what is really exciting, if you see, for example, the project ES built by Evan from um, uh, Figma. So it's basically a, let's say, Babel alternative written in Go. And it's just like, mm -hmm. I think, 100 times faster than anything in JavaScript. And now there are there's this project called SWC, I think it's uh, written in Rust, and they already uh, are able to compile TypeScript, which makes it already like 20 times faster than or really much, much faster than the TypeScript compiler, uh, which is self-serving, by the way. It's written in TypeScript, which is good. It's a good indicator that it's a proper <laughs> language. I think Anders Halsberg, the founder of uh, TypeScript, is uh, proud of it. Um, but now they are really looking uh, to move um, this to Rust, which is hardcore. If you look into the uh, compiler code, I used to co uh, contribute a, a few little things. It's crazy. You have like one file, 20,000 lines, and that is only like Anders Halsberg, uh, who came up with uh, C Sharp and Delphi. He's the only guy who's allowed to touch that file <laughs> in the TypeScript team. <laughs> so it's really like... You need to have this extreme context in your head to be able to work on that. And um, I even heard from someone who did an internship at Microsoft that they wanted to move the TypeScript compiler. It was like an internal experiment at Microsoft. They wanted to move it, I think, to .NET. Uh, there is still some artifact on, on GitHub somewhere of that experiment, but they gave up. <laughs> they realized this thing is too complex. And also, um, I mean, there are for sure uh, type systems where I just said we, we stop. We, we don't do any generics like Go. They kept it, kept it simple. TypeScript, they are just like going hardcore on, on the features. It's, it's insane what kind of features they have. They have sometimes features that even Haskell doesn't have. And Haskell is one of the most powerful type systems. So it will be a challenge to move that over to Rust. But coming back to Dino, uh, I think Dino is a really exciting project. And also having not to deal with the um, overhead of adding TypeScript, it's beautiful because you can just write it and you don't need to deal with the extra compile step anymore. And in practice, I also have to say the compile step um, is not really a problem for me anymore because I'm 99% of the time using TS node, which is just a little CLI utility um, that injects the... Um, so in, in Node.js, you can override the require system 
and what they do, um, uh, they overwrite. If you, you require a TypeScript file, they quickly transpile it and then they uh, run it basically. And that's what, what TS Node is doing. And that where you can di directly say TS Node, then the TypeScript file and you can just run it. So you don't really need to care about this extra uh, transpilation uh, step all the time. Hi everyone, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Epsigon. Epsigon enables teams to instantly simplify, visualize, and understand what's happening with their complex microservice architectures. With their comprehensive, lightweight auto instrumentation, users are able to eliminate the gaps in data and manual work associated with other APM solutions, providing significant reduction in issue detection, troubleshooting, and resolution times. Epsigon aggregates and correlates data from all the third-party tools you love, delivering a single pane of glass for understanding serverless, containers, Kubernetes, and more. Engineers now know when something is wrong and can immediately trace issues to root cause before they affect production. Increase development efficiency and reduce application downtime with Epsigon. As a special for Serverless Chats listeners, if you try out Epsigon and connect your first trace today, they'll hook you up with one of their awesome t-shirts. Check it out at epsigon.com slash serverlesschats. So the the way I found you, by the way, I, I was I was building this DynamoDB toolbox library. Um, I've been building this for over a year now. Um, and I had a lot of people saying, well, we got to move to TypeScript, got to move to TypeScript. And I said, yeah, you know what? You're right. This is the time we're going to do it. Um, I spent several weeks um, porting this thing over to TypeScript. Um, and the biggest challenge, though, was that what I wanted to be able to do was I wanted people to be able to define their schema for entities in a DynamoDB table um, and then be able to have that autocomplete basically for them when they got returns from um, you know whatever op uh, operation they did. So whether it was a get or a query or something like that. And so the way that I sort of figured out this could be possible was, well, you could have them define their own type, if they're building in TypeScript, have them define their own type or schema and pass that into, um, you know, pass that into the library. And then that would carry that through. But essentially, they would have to do that twice. They'd have to define their, uh, the structure, you know, define the schema for a particular item. And then they would have to write a, uh, a TypeScript, you know, interface or something on top of that, that would allow them to, you know, basically retype it or add types to that, whatever. And I was like, that just seems like a lot of work. So I went down this rabbit hole and I uh, came across a talk that you did called Generics, Conditional Types and Map Types, which was absolutely fascinating. So what I'd love to do is just quickly tell me or tell the audience what it was, you know, what it was you talked about in that type in terms of what you were building for Prisma. Yeah, so uh, it's it's uh, nice to see that you came across that because that was just like, I think we started the TypeScript meetup back then and then we just said, hey, let's uh, put in some talk that, let's say, talks a little bit more about advanced concepts in TypeScript. And it's it's funny, like the con the definition of advanced also changes because after, so yesterday, right. again, we had this advanced meetup. It seemed like these, what I'm doing is like totally basic. <laughs> and now I'm seeing what other people <laughs> is doing is uh, more uh, crazy. Uh, so this situation that you just described, that you don't want users to do a uh, definition in, uh, in JavaScript and in TypeScript on top or like two definitions of their types of their schema that they need to keep in sync that is exactly the uh, same problem that we have with prisma so prisma client um, is uh, again it's defined we you define your schema uh, in, in a dsl that we that uh, we came up with at prisma just we call it the prisma definition language and it's um, for the people i think it's actually quite similar to a typescript definition or for the people who use graphql uh, it's similar to a GraphQL SDL schema definition language definition. So you basically can just say I have a model user and then you can point to another uh, a model and you can command click it in VS Code and you have this nice uh, experience. And that is how you define the whole schema, how you define relations. And then uh, under the hood, you have a CLI that's also written in TypeScript and that generates the, um, the whole Prisma client implementation basically for your particular schema. So all the capabilities it has, create, read, update, delete. Maybe you have a JSON uh, uh, column in there and so we give you a specific JSON filter. So all of this is generated depending on your schema, on your database. Uh, that you that you use, we support uh, SQLite, MySQL, Postgres, MariaDB, and MS SQL. 
Uh, MongoDB is coming, but it's still MongoDB is a completely separate uh, paradigm because it's NoSQL. Right now, the SQL database right. is still like more feasible to support uh, them. And so what uh, we were looking into is like, how can we um, reduce the amount of code generation um, in order to give people a nicer uh, developer experience, but still uh, have the type safety? And in particular about querying data. So let's say I say I only want the ID. How can I um, uh, achieve that in a type safe manner? Um, you could say you, for example, have a, let's let's just build our own uh, database client now. You could have a folder that is called queries, and you could have a file there that you call the, the user ID query .json, and then you just have a JSON definition of that of what you want, and then you would run a CLI that looks into that and that generates the types or generates like what is available, and then in your code you know, aha, I have the ID available. But how about you could skip this step of extra generation? How about you can build that into the type system? And that is what we did with Prisma Client. So depending on the uh, object, the which is uh, like the, the query that you write with Prisma Client is just a JSON object. How about we can, um, depending on the shape of that object, have different types for the output of the, of the query function. So in other words, if I'm adding to that object now the name uh, field as well, then suddenly I have this available in the return type of this function, let's say Prisma user.query, for example. And uh, this would be really awesome if that is possible. So we looked, we looked into that topic last year, January, and we knew there is a mechanism in TypeScript that might make, may, uh, make this uh, possible, but, but we didn't know if that's actually possible. And this mechanism is called... Uh, conditional types and the conditional type really says some uh, languages also call it dependent types there are not many languages first of all which have such a concept i think c sharp has it haskell has it um, so the idea is really that you say depending on the input i have i have a different kind of output uh, so uh, you use generics in that case. A generic is, I think, I just refer to it as a, uh, a variable on the type system. And you can say, uh, uh, let's say, if the input is a number, the output will be a string. And if the input is a string, the output will, will be a number. Not sure if that function makes sense, but this kind of combination you <laughs> can do. So you cannot just say if the input is a string, the output is a string, that you can oftentimes do with generics, or you can pack, let's say, an array around it. You really can say uh, you can provide more, let's say, complex uh, conditions. And uh, so we looked into that topic. And another important ingredient to be able to implement such an API that maps like the input to, an, to a specific different kind of output are map types. So um, a TypeScript has uh, so-called structural typing, and that means you can um, uh, you can define types just be by defining a certain structure of the type, and the structure can be let's say an object type, for example. Uh, in, in in JavaScript, if you have an object, an object has keys and values. So now in uh, um, object type in TypeScript, you can say what keys are allowed and what values are allowed. So the, only these certain three keys, let's say ID, name, and email are allowed, and the values have to be a certain type. For example, the email is not allowed to be a number, it has to be a string. So with this, you can like define object types in other languages, oftentimes uh, uh, structs. And what you can do in uh, TypeScript now with mapped types, you can map over an object type and you can turn it into something else. So some of the built-in object types, uh, map types uh, into the TypeScript language, which are part of the TypeScript standard lib, but they're just implemented with the primitives that are uh, accessible to everyone, are, for example, required, the required type or the optional type. So what it does, it goes through your object type and it makes all the properties optional or it makes all properties read-only or properties uh, um, required. So with this, you can manipulate types and you can take one type and turn it into something else. And how this map type is working, there's a loop defined in it. And that loop is oftentimes uh, defined with a um, in statement. And you say you, you loop through something, through a list, for example. And, it, and, and, and before we dive deeper into like how map types, how you would do that in TypeScript, let's quickly uh, go back into like our JavaScript mindset. If we now want to like build, if you want to loop like a, a, an object, oftentimes we need to do that. 
uh, in JavaScript that we need to dynamically build up an object. We don't just get an object and return it or something like that. Let's say we have a, a bunch of entries, we have a bunch of key value pairs, and we need to, need to turn that into an object. So what we do, we loop through the keys, right? And we take the keys, uh, put them on the object, and then we give them a value, right? That's how we do it. And after all, we uh, end up with an object, no matter what we use, for in, we can use or reduce. And this same thing is possible on a type system level in TypeScript. So you can loop again through something. What is the something in TypeScript that's a union type? You can uh, imagine a union type is a little bit like a list uh, in, uh, in, or like an array in JavaScript. So you can say it can, it's either uh, A, B, C, D, and it can be these four things. And you can now loop through them. So you can say uh, uh, the key in and then this uh, list of possible keys of anything, can be numbers, uh, and then you can give them some value. You can uh, look that value up somewhere. You can, for example, say, I picked this from this other type or I want to wrap it in an array, whatever. And this way you can like kind of dynamically in the type system define a loop uh, that is running uh, through th uh, through um, the type that comes as an input. And this way you can turn any type into another type. You can uh, do crazy stuff. And so what we are uh, doing uh, now, coming back to uh, Prisma Client, that was a quick uh, like excourse into uh, <laughs> more advanced TypeScript types. Prisma Client, why, why do we need something like that? And also like to the listeners who are not like, we don't have any code here, right? That we are showing now on the podcast, <laughs> but I still uh, hope it's kind of understandable. So the idea is now in the map type, uh, you give uh, uh, Prisma client the uh, object type that queries, let's say, ID and name. We loop through these keys, ID, name, and we now map that to a, uh, other, uh, to a different type. So in Prisma client as an input, we always get a Boolean. Uh, uh, you just say uh, ID true or ID false if you want it to be part of the, um, of the payload, of the result. And uh, we can now on a type system level check, is it the concrete Boolean true? or uh, false and based on that we can calculate uh, the return type and that is basically how all of this comes together so uh, again when we were looking into that back in january it was not clear at all january 2019 it was not at all clear if this is even possible because we did not see anyone out there doing it and actually uh, i asked a bunch of questions uh, in the issues in the typescript repo and uh, the answers rather sounded like no what you're doing here stupid don't do it. Uh, and we did it anyway. And uh, actually, that's also what I mentioned in the talk at TSCon for a long time. Prisma Clan was not really type safe. Um, there were edge cases when you were doing some like specific definitions of types that you could break the types, basically, which we then also later could fix uh, with some more TypeScript trickery. Um, and what I really want to say here, I think um, TypeScript may be, might be a bit uh, scary. If I'm now talking about all of these crazy types, do I need to understand them to uh, use TypeScript? No, not at all. And I rather think this is uh, something that belongs into a library. This is not something right. I'm doing in my application code. If I'm writing an application, I've never used uh, these kind of types. However, also yesterday at the meetup, you saw people, for example, implementing a game engine, game framework in TypeScript. These, uh, if you are on that level, library level, there you can put a lot of uh, complexity into it because it's like a surface, it's, it's hidden, right? And I believe that with this, having the complexity rather in the library, we can keep our application code more simple. Yeah, no, and I, so this, first of all, if you didn't understand what Tim just said, uh, go and check out this generics conditional types and map types uh, talk. I will put the link in the show notes so you can see this. Um, and then also you're pushing the compiler to the limit. I'm sure you talk about a lot of it in there as well. Um, but what, what you said, I'm going to boil this down quickly. Essentially what it is, is you can in your query, when you write that query in types, uh, or I guess, yeah, well, in TypeScript, but you write that query just defined as a, as a simple JavaScript object that when that query returns in this is at the this is at the, uh, the the type checking stage. This isn't even compiled. It it actually generates a new type for you that shows you which uh, which items are available on the results of that query, which is crazy because I think about you know just defining an entity type, right? Let's say I'm just defining an entity type in a database, and I say, well, it's got an ID, it's got a name, it's got a date, it's got a you know client number or something like that. 
The problem is, is that if my query doesn't return all that data, then when I am using the when I'm using TypeScript, I, it's going to say that it's there, even though it's not going to be there. Um, and so this magic of saying we can dynamically generate types um, so that even at the at the coding stage, when you're writing the code, that you know whether or not a certain thing is going to be available, um, that is just absolutely uh, to me that just blows my mind. Um, but you're you're totally right though, because I think about sort of how I write TypeScript when I'm doing a simple project versus how I write TypeScript when I'm doing a library. And those are two very, very different things. And for yes. me, I like jumped, I jumped into the library writing side of TypeScript very early. So I went down that rabbit hole and I was like generics and, and all these map types and stuff like that. But um, the other thing I wanna point out too is uh, you mentioned these things as, we, as you were talking through. But this is another thing about that talk that I really appreciated because it really helped me um, sort of connect TypeScript with a programming construct that I already understood. Um, and that's when you compare JavaScript to TypeScript in terms of saying generics are like variables. You said this, um, you know, mapped types in TypeScript are very much so like loops um, in, in JavaScript. Union types are like lists. Um, conditional types were like if else statements and uh, key of was like an object dot keys where you could pull that out. And there's a whole bunch of other things too. I mean, even like never, like, I mean, never was always one of those things I kept on seeing. I'm like, why, what's, what's the point of never? But you're like, it's essentially a type error, right? Like there, and it's yeah. not always true. These things don't always hold true, but it is a really good way to sort of wrap your head around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I think that's really uh, also the challenge in terms of education, that we can make this bridge between what is it in uh, runtime, what is it in compile time. Uh, but I also see uh, more and more people doing more advanced stuff here. And uh, mm. one of the advanced things that I just need to point out now, what um, came in TypeScript 4.1. So yesterday we had an engineer from Spotify uh, actually it was two days ago, uh, uh, from Spotify also at the advanced TypeScript uh, meetup. And what he talked about is typed string, um, template strings. So template mm. strings, uh, probably uh, most people are familiar with that if they're doing JavaScript, uh, let's say a nicer way to concatenate or like have, um, multi-line strings and all that kind of stuff, right? It was a great addition to the language. And now what they did in TypeScript, you can now type them. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit insane. So you in TypeScript, there's a keyword that is called the infer keyword. And what you basically do, you um, you can define like a crazy type setup. You can say there's a promise and there's a function around it and three more functions around it. And you say in, in the third argument of the fifth function, you put the infer and then you just call it T, for example. And if, um, that, if the type that you got in has exactly that uh, form of like five functions nested, then you can now take that uh, type of that uh, um, argument and you can do something with it. You can type check it, you can do certain things. And uh, you can do the same with these uh, template string uh, uh, types. So you can uh, say that, um, if there's, for example, a template string that has a specific structure, let's say it has a, so what they even did, uh, they implemented a split, like a, a string dot split on a type level. Uh, so you can say, I have, what, what is a split? You have a left side, you have a right side, and you need to have the split in the middle. So they just define that as a type, and you can do that in TypeScript now. Yeah, and you can even make that uh, dynamic what, what it's splitting on, so you can again have that as a type parameter. And so you can so, say now I have a left side and a right side, and what TypeScript is doing, it splits as soon as it finds that pattern. It's a little bit like a, how Regex uh, is working, like in a greedy uh, mm -hmm. uh, fashion. And what you can then do, again, you can take the, what you uh, split it, you can take the third part of it, like you split it into three parts. The, the first one, the, the, the middle, you may throw away in a normal uh, split implementation. The third part, you again call split on it. So that, that's, the, that's the powerful thing here. You can like uh, yeah, define a, a split function on a type level. What people even started with now is implementing a JSON parser <laughs> in TypeScript uh, on the type system level. So what does that mean? I have a string. And also important to understand uh, why, why can this even be, uh, why does this even work? In TypeScript, you not only have the string type, 
but you can also have a type that is a very specific string literal so that like the string with a specific content that can also be a type so you can say only the type asd is possible and if you now have a um, foo and bar and if you have a um, union type between these you can basically build your own enum you can say it can either be mm. foo or bar uh, so it uh, can be the string called foo, uh, with the concrete content foo or the concrete uh, content bar. And uh, what you can do now, you can make these even more uh, complex. You can do, uh, you can also do union types of uh, in the string uh, um, uh, template strings, which then distributes them. So you can uh, do combinations and, and that kind of stuff. So people are still exploring where this is useful. I think where it uh, gets useful is if, for example, in a timestamp API. So if, let's say I am allowed to use the ISO, what is it, 8601 standard for timestamps. Yeah. And uh, you can op obviously do a, a runtime check. But now with that, you can actually do a compile time check if that string, that particular string that you pass in is even valid. And uh, what that parser is then doing, it's like it's basically people implemented a regex on the type system level. Uh, so these kind of things, like they are not um, uh, making or breaking it, but like we get more and more these nice things to to yeah make the developer experience uh, more awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, so a couple more things uh, about TypeScript specifically, and then I want to bring it back to serverless for a minute. Uh, so with TypeScript, one of the and maybe this is just a debate that I see because I'm I'm reading all these different forums on Reddit and all kinds of things. But when you're building your types, when you're adding things like interfaces and types and things like that, how do you structure your documents? I mean, I know I have like multiple classes and things like that. Do you include interfaces and types? Do you put those in the same file? Do you separate them out into other files? How do you structure that TypeScript document, uh, your TypeScript project, and where where do you put those definition files? Um, that's a good question. So I have seen very different approaches for that as well. Um, some people put it in a types folder. Um, uh, so they have a, so in TypeScript, there's something called a de definitely typed organization. And what it's basically doing, you mentioned earlier, JavaScript uh, libraries adding TypeScript support. It's also possible to do that outside. You can have a separate um, uh, package that is then called uh, was the convention at types slash the uh, module name, uh, the, the NPM package that you want to type. And that way you can put types on top of something that is untyped. Um, and uh, this at types, calling a folder at types, that is a pattern that I have seen more and more often. So what people do, they have a separate uh, um, folder with that kind of stuff, and then they just uh, write down all their interfaces, all their types in that folder and import that in their applica application. Uh, what we are mostly doing at Prisma still is keeping it simple and having the types co-located with the code. So that means the types are just at the head of the file, which is useful to understand the requirements that that function has. Um, as soon as you don't have a simple, um, uh, let's say, two argument function anymore, and you want to really have five, six, seven arguments, it's useful to have an object as a, a input type. And there you will, especially also in React, you need to do it anyway when you have prop types. You will just define that type at the top of the, it's quite useful in my opinion to have that at the top of the file. So you see the data requirements, what that uh, function, what that class needs uh, in order to run. So I think co-locating it is, uh, is one uh, way I saw that and also the app, app types uh, directory. And then also um, if you're writing TypeScript, oftentimes the, t the code, uh, like the types are embedded, right? I think uh, this like location of types, we're mostly talking there about um, interfaces and like object types. Uh, but oftentimes you have the types embedded in your code if you write it in TypeScript upfront so that you have your return type, uh, um, typed or you have your parameters uh, typed in there. Uh, so that's, I think, uh, even more uh, readable if possible. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, I am in the co-location camp. I love to co-locate my types um, in, in yeah. the files themselves. I just find it easier. Uh, the second you, you separate them out and you put them somewhere else and then you have to go look them up. I mean, even if I have to import a type into a different you know file, 
I just import it. I just import the other file, you know, that has the type in it, and it it seems to work uh, pretty well for me. So I don't know yeah. if I'm doing it right, but it's good to hear that um, uh, that that you do a similar thing at uh, at Prisma. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah, and what I quickly wanted to mention here is um, that this really helps also us and the team as like communication. So what is really um, so we have ESLint rules um, activated um, for the people who are familiar with ESLint. There was the effort of TSLint done by Palantir, and they merged that into ESLint, and now it's a plugin for ESLint because they just realized they cannot uh, build such an awesome project uh, again. So it's now like has access to the ESLint. Um, AST and ESLint has the capability to uh, pass a TypeScript. And there are some rules that um, even force you to make the types a bit more explicit. And that helps us in the team. In the moment that you are writing the types, especially coming from the front end and or like in general i see that a lot with front end developers uh, types go uh, are in their way or it feels like oh, i don't want to write this type it's why do i even need this i i have the feeling the acceptance for this and back end and node.js is a bit higher still um because also to be fair the uh, react tooling and so on it's already quite awesome and eslint is already nearly uh, you could nearly call it typescript compiler because it already does uh, it understands the code already quite deeply um, but anyway, uh, we have a rule uh, in our setup that forces you to um, explicitly write down the return types. And that's why is that interesting? For you in that moment, it's trivial. You just hover with your mouse and you see it's whatever the TypeScript uh, language service in VS Code will tell you. This is a number. Where this is really useful is for the PRs. So if you have the PR um, review, in, in the GitHub UI, you don't know, you don't have your auto, uh, your IntelliSense. In that case, the types are really useful to just understand what's the contract. After all, a type uh, system is a contract, right? What gets in, what gets out. And also then later, if you are refactoring uh, and you are not aware what was the type actually, and you're, you think you didn't break anything, with having the return type explicit, you just know uh, what, what is expected of this function. And uh, we found right. that quite useful. Yeah. yeah. And I, the other thing too that's great, um, you know, besides ESLint is just Jest. I use Jest for all my um, for all my unit testing, um, and you you know with with the TypeScript support there, it just works really really well. So, um, all right, let's bring it back to serverless, um, and then uh, and then I'll let you go and get back to your uh, your TypeScripting. Um, the the cloud um, edge, right, or, or you know edge. Edge computing seems to be something that is getting more and more popular. And we've got Fastly and Cloudflare workers um, and things like that. And so I know a lot of them run on the V8 engine, right? But there's also all this stuff with AssemblyScript and WASM. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's really interesting to see. I mean, uh, if we talk serverless, oftentimes uh, it seems like serverless equals AWS. But I have the feeling that is changing more and more. I mean, uh, I think Cloudflare can now be considered a legitimate uh, player on the market in serverless uh, with Cloudflare workers. And it's also really interesting to see how Fastly and Cloudflare are targeting completely different markets. Cloudflare is rather going for the uh, application developers. They make it easy. They give you JavaScript. Uh, they made the V8 uh, engine very fast. So they um, did some tricks to basically give you nearly uh, zero uh, cold start. So what they did is that while you have a TLS uh, handshake, they already boot the function for you. And as they have this very minimal V8 runtime, uh, it's much faster than if you have a Lambda function that now needs to start the whole uh, thing. And this way you have much more lightweight functions. They are not that, um, they cannot do that many things. You cannot run native code in there. Uh, however, the uh, let's say the gate into native code is WASM, WebAssembly. Also, crazy news that uh, Fastly basically uh, hired basically all the WASM people <laughs> from Mozilla. Right, I saw that. So, like, either if you're a Rust developer, it seems like either you're like working for Fastly or I don't know uh, some. Uh, then, then it's like long tail. So they they have extreme competence now in that team. And for Fastly, it seems rather they are going for the advanced use case. I mean, that's the whole, like the whole Fastly CDN is uh, built in that direction, right? That, um, let's say TikTok is using it, for example, or Stripe. You can do these crazy configurations. 
it's not necessarily um, built for application developers. However, um, in order to like get into their uh, runtime, so we just talked about the uh, Cloudflare runtime, which is uh, based on V8. You can just deploy JavaScript and that's it, which then also, by the way, means that you can deploy TypeScript. And there are great examples out there how you can, uh, how, how you can run that. Uh, in Fastly, you can also theoretically uh, do uh, TypeScript, but rather a subset of it called AssemblyScript. So they are pushing it really hard. They are also sponsoring the assembly script project. And what is assembly script? So the idea is really they um, selected a subset of TypeScript. It's the same syntax. You feel familiar with it if you use it. Um, that is be uh, able to compile to assembly, web assembly. And uh, so the Fastly runtime is a different beast than uh, it's a completely different design than uh, Cloudflare. They claim, I think they have 34 microseconds boot up for the um, for the runtime. Right. So if they give if you give them your WebAssembly file, then they can boot that on the edge in 34 uh, microseconds, which is impressive. And this now uh, allows you to write uh, and, and that is uh, traditionally only uh, Rust. Uh, also, their first right. uh, tool chain, what they are supporting there in the uh, Edge um, beta, I had a look at that. It's only Rust. Uh, however, now they're adding the assembly script support, which is exciting because this opens up this extreme, um, let's say, advanced edge computing, which normal, normally if you are, let's say, solo developer, small team, you would never look into that. Uh, now you suddenly have access to that and you can write uh, uh, very fast edge functions. So the difference with uh, between Fastly and Cloudflare there also a bit, because I, I looked into that quite a bit because I'm, I'm working like on a side project related to that. Um, in Cloudflare, the, the function, it's not a Lambda function, but it's a function, it's always triggered. So that's basically the outer edge. Even before the cache is uh, hit, uh, that function uh, is always called. And then in that function, you have access to the cache API and can get something out of the cache and return it. So the cache that is basically powering uh, um, uh, Cloudflare. And Fastly, it's different. Fastly has a varnish in front of everything. Uh, which is this uh, quite old uh, cache implementation, but very legit and just works uh, well. And um, you can now talk to Varnish, you can communicate, you can configure Varnish on top. And then if Varnish didn't have the cache, then you can have, uh, um, yeah, you can write your function behind that. And that can now also be with AssemblyScript, basically TypeScript. But uh, I have to be fair here, it's not really yet TypeScript. Um, most of the packages will not work. Uh, I had a look into it. It's not yet there. It will take a while. Yes, it has the same syntax, but there is still a way to go. If I would use uh, WebAssembly at the edge, I would probably rather do Rust today because the tooling there is much more uh, advanced. But it's still uh, really exciting to see that they are pushing forward uh, this. And uh, yeah, Cloudflare, um, I think, is a great addition as well. And um, I am actually using it as a, a cheap alternative to API Gateway. Uh, because uh, <laughs> you have uh, pricing of like 50 cents per uh, dollar uh, per, um, per million requests. I think API Gateway, you're somewhere at 250 or something to two dollar oh, fifty. I think it's three three fifty for the, uh, the rest and a dollar for the uh, HTTP APIs. If that's not confusing enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> now you are down to 50 cent basically with um, Cloudflare because what you can do. There are packages out there uh, that you can directly call your Lambda function uh, with AWS uh, um, API from uh, Cloudflare, from a Cloudflare function. So you can now have that as your gateway, which is really exciting. And again, all of that yeah. can be uh, type safe if you write it in TypeScript. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I think the the whole WebAssembly thing and I just and, and edge computing, I, that to me is this next evolution of serverless computing. I mean, the idea and 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 what's great about the, the WebAssembly, too, is that, again, running that on a browser, right, there's so many more things that you can do yeah. um, there and package so much more compute there. And so the less that your, uh, you know, the less that the Internet is required here to connect to a little bit of data. Um, but again, everything powered in that tool chain is just absolutely amazing. So um, really exciting stuff. Tim, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge here. Because honestly, like I, I've learned so much from you um, just through the the the, uh, the video that you did in our our previous conversation. So um, 
I am very, very happy that I found you because it completely opened uh, or changed the way I think about TypeScript. So I appreciate that. I hope this did something you know similar for people listening to this. Um, I will put all of your um, all of your talks uh, in the show notes. But if people do want to get a hold of you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? I guess uh, just on Twitter uh, slash Tim Suchanek. Um... Yeah, uh, I guess in the um, show notes, maybe there the, uh, you can link to it, but it's just T-I-M-S-U-C-A-N-E-K. <laughs> it's uh, The name comes from Czech Republic. Now, uh, my heritage is German, but yeah, that's where it or originally uh, comes from. Yeah, anyway. Awesome. And then if people want to check out Prisma, they go to github.com slash Prisma, correct? Uh, yes, or Prisma.io, exactly. Uh Awesome. So the Prisma right. client is out there. They can check it out. It always also works for JavaScript, and uh, we have a Go client um, in beta, so you can also check that one out. Yeah. Awesome. All right, I will get all that stuff into the show notes. Thanks again, Tim. Thanks for having me. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Tim Zuhanek for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, Epsigon. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 83. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.